evening and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show. It is Tuesday, November 24th, 2015. We're broadcasting live from our Guys Guys Radio studios here in Harlem, New York, USA. Hope everybody's having a great fall and getting ready for that getaway tomorrow for Thanksgiving. Let me ask you something, though. What do you think of vampires? Do you believe in them? There's so much of our culture devoted to vampires over the last decade. It's amazing. I frankly, I quite, I don't get it exactly, but I've got two experts, two writers, a writing team, Harris Gray are going to come on in a few minutes and going to tell us about their vampire trilogy about a vampire named Vic. So we're going to get them out here shortly and they're going to educate me and our audience about all the to do about vampires and why it just keeps going and going and going particularly with the millennials. So I'm interested, and I hope you are also. But let's talk about what's going on. This is Guys Guys Radio, the place where when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. So it's not specifically a men's show, but we try to find a way to have better men, better world. And when better men and better world are there, it's good for women also. So it's good for everybody. So we're all about positivity. The whole thing started with my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York. And from there, uh, this Guy's Guy's movement just kind of blossomed. We've got our radio show that's uh, over 160 podcasts now. You can hear any of them for free on Blog Talk Radio or iTunes. So check it out, Guy's Guy's Radio. You can also follow me at robertmanny.com. My blog my blog is on there on my website. There's a whole series of videos on there also. And uh, you can check me out on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. And uh, again, it's all about when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. So let's talk about what's going on in the guys, guys world right now. So Thanksgiving is coming up. And that brings up a couple of issues. So we've got Thanksgiving with the whole getaway. Everybody's going to be traveling now. We had the tragedy in Paris a little over a week ago, and it's high alert. I went through Penn Station today. I actually, uh, taking my family down to the Jersey Shore to visit my my family who's down there, and uh, my wife and I and my son were in the city, and it was uh, all different types of military, machine guns, automatic weapons, all over the place. Um and, you know, makes you pause and think about it. Like, are we safe? What are you going to do? You just have to think, think with the answers. You just have to go through and live your life and, you know, see what happens. And hope that everybody's taking care to, to protect us there. Uh, also, you've got what's happened with the holidays. You've got Black Friday. There's so many ads and so many ways that the marketing folks are dicing it up now where... A lot of sales have already taken place. A lot of big box retailers are saying we're not going to be open on Thanksgiving, giving our employees a break, which is a good thing. And then you've got the onslaught that I'm sure will happen on Black Friday. And then you've got Cyber Monday, and there's all kinds of sales already. I was walking past some stores today. I went in to buy my son something. And, uh, you know, the gap, the entire store, 40% off. I mean, this is not – I don't know if that's the state of the economy or the state of retail now where – they just can't get rid of the merchandise, but 
you know, 40% off and it's not Black Friday yet. I mean, what are they going to do Black Friday? It's going to be 70% off or something? I don't know. Um, then we've got uh, football coming up on Thanksgiving, too. And then getting together with the family. We all get together with our families and we see a lot of people we haven't seen that much. And, you know, sometimes it's awkward. And you think about you think about your family. And I was thinking about mine today and like, you know, they don't, really don't understand me, which is OK. And they're good people. And like, OK, Thanksgiving, show up, have a good time. Everything's nice. Enjoy. I love the holiday because it's good food and football and just getting together and seeing everybody in an official way for the first time since uh, probably since, I don't know, from my family, Easter Memorial Day or my actually my my folks anniversary. They've been married for over 60 years. So, uh, you know, getting together with them. So that'll be good. And then we'll see what happens from there. We've got so three football games, I think, pro football games on Thursday. Uh, I think it's the Eagles and the Lions possibly for the first game. And then we've got the Cowboys and the Panthers. And then I think it's the Bears and the Packers for the third game. Now it's three games. And uh, interesting, uh, I'm a season, I'm a Jets season ticket holder. And they're a pathetic franchise, in my opinion. Sorry, but they're here. And when I was a kid, my dad took my brother to, and my dad and my uncle took my brother to a Giants game. They took me to a Jets game. And uh, then I saw Joe Namath play, and then they won the Super Bowl. And it's a lot of fun. We went out to Shea Stadium, and then I picked up season tickets. But I'm not a crazy Jet fan. I know it's a, in my opinion, it's an organization that never seems to have its stuff together. And they were highly touted this year with their defense and their defense has been not very good and they don't have depth and it's just, oh my goodness. And then also, I admit, I like the Cowboys also. And the Cowboys, and I've actually been a Cowboys fan, I'm more of a Cowboys fan than a Jets fan, but this false hope that they have out there for the Cowboys, we're going to run the table and get in the playoffs. You know, seven games in a row. I know Tony Romo's back, but they've got a tough road. They've got the undefeated Panthers on Thanksgiving. And then they've they've got the Redskins, who always give them a good game. And then they, they've, got, they've got to play the Eagles again, I think, in Philly. And then I know they have to play the Packers in Green Bay. This is no easy task to get to, to run the table. If they can do that, yeah, they can they can get to the Super Bowl, but uh, I, I don't. I think it's just a setup for more heartache. So, anyhow, I'm interesting when we uh, interested when we get the guys on the show. They're from uh, Colorado, so maybe they're who knows? Maybe they're uh, Broncos fans. We'll get a sense. Uh, maybe we can get a, some insights as to what's going on with the new quarterback and Peyton Manning and all that stuff. So, let's talk about Thanksgiving a little bit, and then we'll bring our guests out. So, you know, Thanksgiving sometimes, you know, the way I like to look at it is. Instead of some, instead of being thankful for what we have, you know, sometimes it's good to be thankful for things that didn't work out. You might have gotten dumped by a girlfriend. You might have lost a job. You might have not had something happen that you really, really wanted. But then when you look back a year or two, three years, say, you know what? It's better that that stuff didn't happen. I'm in a better place now, and I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I think when we start to be grateful for just where we are 
and we start to not question like, oh, I wanted this, I wanted that, and just let the perfection of the now take over, things will really work out the way we want and what's best for us and just for the good of everybody. So I know, something to think about. So let's talk a little bit our guests about our guests and we'll bring them out now. This is a writing duo. Now I'm a novelist and uh, I worked with somebody who helped edit my books, but I know that writing a novel is tough to begin with, but having two guys work together and we'll talk about their process and stuff, to come up with this vampire trilogy and they have a one-off book also um, is an amazing feat. And um, their collaboration uh, between uh, Harris Gray, which is Alan Harris and Jason Gray started about a decade ago. They've done three novels, two screenplays, a Christmas play, collection of stories. And, uh, and their other book, Java man. And, Alan is a former guest columnist for the Denver Post, and Jason owns the Crowfoot Valley Coffee and Crow Bar, land of rumor and embellishment, as they say. So they met in the coffee shop, and they started to collaborate, and then things happened. And uh, in March 2013, their first book came out, Vampire Vic. And it's about not your typical vampire. This guy is... He's not like Lestat the Vampire from the Anne Rice books. He's a kind of a balding, reluctant, middle-aged accountant who's kind of taking it on the chin, and he doesn't really want to be a vampire, but there he is. And then there's the new book, Morbius Reborn, which is Vampire Vic 2, and uh, there's going to be a third book also. So let me bring them out right now and help me out, folks, because I'm going to try to see if I can keep them... uh, be able to identify who's who, but we'll have some fun anyhow. So welcome, Harris Gray. How are you guys? Uh, We're really good. How are you doing? Hey, Robert. Hey, fantastic. So uh, I got to tell you, you've got a really interesting concept here of a kind of a new type of vampire. But first for our audience, if you could be so kind as to like talk a little bit about, you know, your story, how you guys get together got together and kind of what inspired you to go the vampire route in terms of uh, finding content to uh, uh, attack for your books? Well, uh, so this is Alan, the Harris Hi, Alan. In, in Harris Gray. Hi, Robert. Thank you very much for having us on. Uh, this is this is a special treat. Uh, we It's been about a decade or so. I would, I would, go to Jason's coffee shop, Crowfoot Valley Coffee, just like you mentioned, and uh, to write. And uh, Jason had this sweet little corner seat that would look out at Castle Rock, our town's namesake. And uh, that was was the seat as far as the writers in Castle Rock are concerned. And I'll just say this right right from the get-go. There are too many writers out there. I wish it was just us and you, Robert, and maybe a handful of others. Oh, that's a lot, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just like uh, just like the marketplace, there was competition for that seat. Uh, I would win it as often as I could, and it was convenient because it was right next to Jason's bar, the coffee bar, and so I got to, to eavesdrop on the stories Jason would tell his customers, and uh, occasionally a story or two would make it into the novels I was writing, and uh, and at some point Jason realized what was going on. Well, yeah, uh, this you know, um, this is Jason, Jason Gray from Harris Gray. 
Um, hey, and then Alan and I just, uh, I mean, I, I, Alan would uh, run to the bathroom for his bathroom breaks, and then I would write in his margins, and um, unbeknownst, to, unbeknownst to him, and then he would uh, come back, and he'd kind of look at his notes and realize that somebody else was kind of writing in there, and eventually I figured that, you know, he didn't really have much choice um, but to uh, actually take me on as a writing partner since he's already stealing all my stories. Now, what were your? Was you, did you ever have uh, uh, any motivation or inspiration to be writing, Jason, or uh, was it spurred by your connecting with Alan? You know, it was a little bit of both. I mean, the, Alan was already a writer, um, and uh, I liked to write. Um, I had uh, uh, had tried to write a few um, books or novels or short stories, as as a lot of people do. And uh, I would I lived in Alaska for ten years, and I was up there. It was kind of like a, you know, a shining moment where um, you're, you're you're locked in your house and you're writing your book by yourself and going crazy. And and that's kind of where I w- that's where I started writing, but never really followed through. And then um, actually, Alan was the one who prompted me and said, "Hey, you know, you have these great stories. How about you get them together?" And that's all the prompt I needed. Oh, yeah, excellent. So. so- yeah, I would come maybe just a just quick continuation on that. Uh, so uh, when I when I told Jason to do that, uh, it was probably two days later. I came to my little writing nook, and there on the the seat was a yellow notepad full of Jason's stories, real stories. The stories, the very stories I'd been eavesdropping on, were now in print. Uh, so I put them together. Uh, it was just too good not to put down. And so I wrote a little foreword as to why why I thought reading Jason's stories was a good idea, uh, what what the reader could gain from that, the entertainment and some uh, some a little bit of enlightenment. Uh, and Jason had the idea to pair each of those stories with a recipe, and and that really gets to our writing partnership too. Something I never would have thought of. Uh, it just injected something special, I think, into the into this book. It gave us a little story, kind of a, a, a recipe story within within each of the stories. Uh, we are going to reprise that. We did self-publish that, and for the most part, just distributed it locally. We're going to bring that back. That'll be one of our uh, projects up up and coming here very soon next year after we get the Vampire Vic trilogy done. Is is to redo that, probably beef it up a little bit, add a couple stories. Uh, it's mm-hmm. one of those, like an interview question. What's what's your your uh, your biggest weakness? And you you know you talk about how you're just such a hard worker, and uh, right. this is probably our biggest weakness, our, our worst complaint for that book of stories was it it wasn't long enough. So that's exactly what you want to hear as a writer, of course. Uh, so yeah, so we're gonna we'll, we'll add a couple more. Jason definitely has a few more stories in the wings. Uh, come up with a couple more recipes and and uh, get that out there at some point here. Now, uh, were his what was the if you don't mind my asking what was the subject matter about and then how did you guys uh, decide to approach the whole vampire genre? Uh, you mean the, the the subject matter matter on on the first book? Yeah, like what you were writing about in the uh, you know the well, coffee shop. Well, the first the first book, the subject matter was nonfiction. It was just you know, like Alan said, it was stories about mostly about uh, some Washington State stories where I grew up, and then Alaska stories. Um, 
And, you know, those were the, you know, the short stories, and we, we kind of wrapped it around my father. My father um, uh, wasn't a great communicator, and our way of communicating was fishing. Um, uh, so, you know, him and I would fish a lot, and that was just kind of our way of, of mm-hmm. connecting. Um, I think that's a lot of father-son, even father-daughter sure. stories out there is, is, is sometimes you can't connect. You, be, you find something mutually um, beneficial to both of you, and and that was our thing. And so we fished, and that was our that was our stories. So our stories great. wrap around that a lot. I mean, um, but and so give you kind of an idea that they're almost all those all those stories are between I don't know five and ten pages long. Um, uh, a few, uh, most of them are in Washington and, and uh, Alaska based. Uh, there's a story about me. You know, falling into a river with uh, chest waders on and almost drowning. And um, there's a there's a story about me um, uh, breaking out of jail in Seattle, Washington. Actually, at Renton, Washington. Hopefully, no one's listening in Renton, Washington. Um, and uh, there's a, there's stories just about how how Dad and I communicated. Um, and mm-hmm. then uh, each story uh, um, the at the end has a recipe. That has to do with the story itself, and so we kind of okay. wrapped it up in a nice little bow there. Nice. And we talked about how we moved on to um, both Al and I have kids, and and how that our relationship with our own fathers um, matches with our kids, and how we try to do um, as good, if, if not a better job, communicating. Okay, how did you guys then um, kind of part two of that was like uh, decide to uh, take on vampires? Yeah. Uh, so the you talked about the one-off story, uh, and we can talk about that at some point. But we had that that was our first major collaboration after we put together the book of Jason stories that we've been talking about. Then I had been writing a, a trying to write a historical fiction book, and when that collaboration, we we suddenly realized we had we had a good thing. Uh, and Jason talked a little bit about him writing in the margins when I'd go to the restroom. Uh, it uh, was kind of like that. And I, I was, so uh, the, the stories that, uh, the stories that Jason was telling, the anecdotes, they were perfect. They worked perfectly for the, the fictional book that I was writing. What, what ultimately was, was I, we moved the, what was going to be a historical fiction piece was moved to the modern day now uh, we kept some of the same elements, and it's set in a coffee shop, and so it has a lot of the anecdotes, uh, real life anecdotes, uh, with, with the names changed, of course, uh, and that went really well. <clears throat> and so we, then we uh, were looking for for our next book, and we were really just joking. Uh, so Jason's shop also is a uh, Crowfoot Valley Coffee. It's also Crowbar. I, I like to think of it as letting its hair down at night uh, and slipping into something a little more comfortable. Uh, he, has, he has craft beers on tap and uh, a little wine, a little little uh, martini list. Uh, so we were sitting around talking about what that next book might be, and uh, and that's where the the topic of uh, or the ultimate genesis of, of Vampire Vic arose. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then you know, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. You go. Oh, to, to go on top of that, you know, um, so Alan's wife and daughter and my wife were kind of big Twilight fans, and and they were really big into the Twilight genre. And I was more of an Anne Rice um, fan and mm-hmm. and sort of the older stuff as well as Bram Stoker and that kind of thing. 
And uh, we started, you know, kind of ask, when we first started talking about the, the vampire genre, we kind of joked about it, like, you know, gosh, it'd be fun to write a vampire book, but what would we write about? I mean, that's not our that's not our wheelhouse. I mean, our wheelhouse is stuff we know. Um, you know, they always say about writers write what they know, and what we know is is not sexy young vampires. What we know is, uh, you know, guys in accounting and and guys who are uh, a bit a bit overweight and guys who are a bit balding, and and we thought it would be fun to do kind of the anti-vampire book. Now, and what is it? What what is it about vampires that you guys think have kind of uh, let's put it this way I read all the the early Anne Rice books and I was infatuated and then I was like okay I went on to the next thing but the vampire thing is really stuck and the the other thing like Walking Dead and all the zombie movies and now even like Leftovers it's all in that kind of dark area what is it about vampires since you guys kind of dove in head first that is uh timeless number one and that is connecting on an emotional uh wavelength if you will with uh millennials in particular what is it is it a alienation type of thing what what is it about vampires that that millennials are relating to so strongly it keeps going well, i think when you when you when you said the word timeless i think that really puts it i mean that was one of our first worries as well. Is this a kind of a fad? And then we kind of went through the system and like realized that you know vampires are not a fad. I mean, they've been around for since Bram Stoker. He I mean, he was the first one to bring it on with Vlad the Impaler, you know, from Romania, Transylvania. And then since then, it's kind of made our way in and out of mainstream for years and years. I think that you know people will joke around once in a while with us and say, "Well, is when's the vampire fad gonna gonna go away?" And then like. You know, it, it hasn't gone away for a couple hundred years. I don't see it going away. For, going, going away, and so it was fun for us to do that. And I think that for millennials, it's I think it's a fun thing to talk about. You know, you live forever, and I think that um, we all want to see how long we can we can have our lifespan. And on top of that, you know, do crazy stuff that you really wouldn't do in your real life. You think, uh, and I'm just riffing here, that it's part, part of the reason. One of the reasons that. Millennials connect so well with it is that they've been dealt kind of a bad hand. Like my background's advertising, and in my agency we hired millennials, and I thought they were fantastic. And I have a real soft spot for millennials because I think as a generation they've been dealt a bad hand, and I think they're totally exploited. Where there's the you know the whole concept of these unpaid interns, it's it's just wrong, and. Uh, and maybe it's a feeling of helplessness that they have, and through this type of urban fantasy, I guess you would call it, that they there's an empowerment in uh, how they relate to the characters. I don't know. What do you you guys? How do you how do you latch on to the emotional aspects of what's going on to really connect with your readers? Yeah, I do. I we see that too. Uh, both Jason and I have kids. Uh, that are in that generation, and uh, you see the it, it's it's competitive. The world is competitive like it's never been before. Uh, so the I think the odds uh, that they face are greater than than what we faced. I think we're used to that upward progression and and uh, and kind of ease of entry into the workforce and education being a, that golden ticket. And now, uh, obviously, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, there's a lot more uncertainty out there. So I do think that the vampire 
the vampire genre uh, and and a vampire character, a strong vampire character, is very appealing. And that, and especially, there's there's something about to us anyway. Vampire Vic, uh, even though he is he is our age, he's a he's a forty uh, some year old guy. He's you know he's pushing fifty. Uh, that I think there's some of the same characteristics there. Things that that people. Uh, from a lot of different age groups, and maybe the millennials in particular can relate to, that uh, uh, it feels like the deck is stacked against Vic. Uh, he's hoping that becoming a vampire is his ticket. It, it, it's going to change things for him, uh, that the whole world will open up to him. And uh, in, in, the, in book one, that's not the case. He does not become suave and sexy. He does not become that dashing twilight vampire that uh, that he probably pictured, and I think that a lot of people picture once you once you reach adulthood, you think uh, that things are going to start to make sense, and you realize no, that uh, <clears throat> there is no easy golden ticket. It takes it takes a lot more than that uh, to uh, to get to where you want to be, and and uh, and that, that eternal struggle. It, it is an eternal struggle. We we all go through it, uh, and in Vampire Vic, we for us really epitomizes. Uh, what uh, what what all of us face, and maybe it's maybe it's good for millennials to realize to some extent that's something what they're facing is is uh, it's a, is something all of us face to different degrees or in different ways, uh, and we and we had a lot of a lot of fun. Maybe we had too much fun putting Vic in some pretty pretty uh, strong suffering situations. We we I think we enjoyed too much maybe watching Vic suffer. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's take a half step back. Just an editorial comment. I actually think that the the pers- the challenges that millennials have and people have nowadays, a lot of it's perceptual because the media has told us that there's so many more challenges. But I think if you can control your thoughts and your mind and really see the bigger picture, that things are the same now. I remember I'm a boomer, and I remember when I got out of school, there was no jobs, and it was you know everything was gloom and gloom and uh i took a crummy job and my friends did and there everybody got through it and uh worked their way up and i think that's still happening nowadays but whatever but let's let's i want to give you guys a forum so we can sell some books here talk about then vampire bick and your your trilogy did you guys you know give me the big picture why is it a trilogy was that the plan from the beginning did this thing take a life of its own on a life of its own Etc. Yeah. So uh, I'll kick that off. Uh, it was not a trilogy to begin with. Uh, as we're writing book one, we're midway through, and Jason, uh, in a scene that he that he wrote involving what we now affectionately refer to as the Civil War soldier, uh, he is a he he turns out to be a sensei of sort, a, a, a slayer a slayer mentor for Eugene the Vampire Slayer in our book. Uh, suddenly this Civil War soldier character pops up out of nowhere, and, and there's this reference to, uh, to Transylvania uh, and to this little town in Transylvania. And one thing led to another, and all of our research around that town, just to get, uh, just to get a little basis for what uh, what what the characters were referring to. It was almost one of those those moments where the character pointed us somewhere 
And uh, through through our research at that point and the digging that we did, uh, it felt like a whole other world started to open up and the backstory started to come to life. And uh, from that point, we realized we had something bigger than, than that first book. And, uh, and, and that's when we started to get excited about creating the whole world, expanding that vampire world and making it into a trilogy. Excellent. Now, your character, Vic, he's an atypical, as we've kind of touched on. But uh, take us, because he's the, you know, the heartbeat of the whole series, if you will. Well, he's not your, he's not Lestat, if you will. He's not dashing, he's not sexy, he's not handsome. He's a struggling middle-aged guy who is having trouble at home with his wife. He's got a kid, he's got trouble at work, getting respect, et cetera, et cetera. Talk to us about, you know, how he came about and how you've kind of guided him to be your anchor for the series. Well, and with, with Vic, it was, it was a lot of fun because, uh, you know, we at first put him, you know, as a sad sack and as a person who didn't have control of his life. And and as uh, Alan mentioned earlier, when he got bit and turned into a vampire, he thought things were going to get better, and actually they got worse. Um, and then eventually he kind of takes control and owns his... his um, his affliction. I mean, he at first he when he gets bit, he's so adverse to having blood. He knows he has to have it to kind of sustain himself. Uh, we joke around about it that rather than having a craving for it, it's more like a diabetic sugar low that he has to have it in order in order to live. And so he actually um, makes friends with a, a friend of his and and um, um, gets blood from the from the blood bank. And uh, blood is about to expire, and he gets that for free, and and uh, it, and, and makes bloody bloody marys to sustain himself, and and that uh-huh. kind of thing. And then, as it progresses, you know, he eventually does bite somebody, and then he kind of changes as a person. And you're kind of trying to figure out: does he change as a person, or does he change as, as or is a vampire changing him? And um, I think that's where the struggle is, and throughout the series, and. That's a lot of fun to write. I mean, is is um, you know, as as adults and as people in general, we have our ups and lows, our ebbs and flows, as, uh, and um, whether you're male or female, and and uh, especially you know, you you want to be, be the head of the household as a as a male, and and but at the same time, you want to uh, you know create a family and a loving environment, but you still want to be a strong person, and I think that uh. You know that is a big deal for um, Victor going back and forth, and so um, you know you mentioned his wife, but actually his his ex-wife in the in the book, um, they actually live together because uh, monetary reasons. She demands they live together uh, to save money, and and so it, it's it, that's an interesting dynamic as well, and, and it's, it's just a lot of fun to go and delve in that sort of atmosphere with him, and then how it relates into a total fictional atmosphere with a vampire. Now, you've got another character, kind of the antagonist, if you will, Eugene. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the dynamic uh, between those two and the battles that they uh, are involved with. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that speaks to the to the writing partnership that we have and the benefits. Uh, so Jason invented Eugene the Vampire Slayer. Uh, he pops into a scene and uh he is completely completely klutzy he's completely dedicated to his craft uh he lives breathes 
vampire slaying. He comes from a long line of vampire slayers. That's his first. You, you get that from Eugene right off the bat. Uh, he knows his place in the world, and he is here to just to slay with reckless abandon. Uh, he gets a bead on Vic. And it kind of, as as the trilogy takes off and, and expands and it, you get into book, book two, you start to see why uh, why Vic was on his radar screen, why the two of them are destined uh, to be entangled. And he is constantly trying to off Vic. Uh, in book one, it, uh, it, it fails miserably time after time. Uh, in book two, we've, Jason and I have talked about how we see that as as uh, kind of the anti-Batman and Robin that they are forced together in book two for uh, circumstances that that, uh, will be revealed as you read the books. Uh, And they are a very unlikely and unwilling uh, crime-fighting, vampire-slaying duo. We have a blast of that. And maybe the other, you know, as you write write these stories, just the way the characters... Uh, the way the characters exist and develop and think uh, gives you all kinds of opportunities, and they, they kind of steer you into different uh, different opportunities. Well, Eugene, to get to Vic, uh, he is wooing Victor and Barbara's teenage daughter, Amberly, uh, and uh, that becomes, as, as book two and then book three progress, Amberly's character comes to the forefront that relationship between Eugene, Eugene and Amberly uh, is uh, is kind of the at the at the root of the struggle and the the at the heart of the the curse. Uh, so uh, we've had a lot of fun with that. It's there's there's a romance tied up. There are a couple different romances going on in the trilogy, and maybe that's one of the benefits of writing a trilogy too. Is uh, you get a chance to develop more uh, additional characters and more deeply than you would in a one one shot deal. So you've got Victor and Barbara and their relationship, and then you have Amberly and, and Eugene the Vampire Slayer. Uh, uh, and as you might imagine, that's that's not a relationship that uh, that Victor favors. Now, do you see these books as like part one, part two, part three, or are they all uh, standalones where if somebody stumbled upon book two, they could just read that and say, okay, you know, I, I read that and that's that's it. Or do you want them to be, you know, obviously you want to sell all three, but just from a progression standpoint in terms of reading, did they stand alone? And was that your intention? That's a great question. I think be. that um, we never talked about that. I, mean, I think that uh, we tried to make sure that um, when we wrote um, the second book, Morbius Reborn, and then the third, that you could read all of them um, without having to, you know, my one of my big big beefs with having a trilogy or a a, a book set that has more than th- more than three books in it. And my book, big beef is, uh, you know, rereading the first hundred pages and and learning every book. You know, I don't want to learn every book. So I mean, I think that we we tried to sum up it very quickly, um, what was going on in book two and three, so that you could read the books and still understand that what's going on. Um, but hopefully, uh, if you read the second book first, uh, kind of like Dan Brown, you read, uh, you know, uh, sure. Angels and Demons second, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so back and forth where um, you can read the Doesn't book. Matter. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it won't matter, but hopefully it all makes even more sense if you uh, read all three. I mean, I think that, right. yeah, I mean, of course we want to read all three. I think that, that that's our ultimate goal, and I think that that pulls everything together in a nice bow. 
Uh, but if you want to read just one or two of them, that, that's fine, too. I think that you won't be missing, hopefully, too much of the backstory if if you read the second one first and then go back or read the third one and go back. I think that hopefully they're all good novels on their own. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about process a little bit, if you guys don't mind, because, uh, you know, I've written two novels. The first one was, uh, I consider it my kind of practice novel. I went through the entire process. It was painful. I shed a couple of tears when I wrote the last page. It, and I learned a lot about the process, the marketplace, etc. The second novel was a lot faster. I still had to spend a lot of time editing, and I got some help with that, and then that got published. So for you guys, and I know how my point is, it's really difficult. As you know, a lot of people say, I think there's a novel in everybody, but everybody says, oh yeah, I was going to write a book. I can write a book. But you know, you get past page three and it's like, okay, where are you going with this? And the process of mapping it out or just, just strapping yourself behind the wheel and going with it, that's tough enough to begin with. I mean, I cut out in the guy's guy's guide to love 80 pages of my favorite character. And I'm like, ah, but it didn't drive the story enough. So it had to go. Now that's doing it as one person with somebody else working as kind of my conscience on it for you guys. And you're very different. I can tell, and you have great chemistry as, uh, as supported by, you know, the books themselves. And plus, you know, just chatting with you guys, how, how, tell us, tell us a little bit about that process. I mean, there's pleasure and I'm sure there's pain in it too, because not only do you have to do all that work and you have your own vision, then you're handing off chapters to each other. And then, you know, you got to make sure the visions uh, intersect and that you're adding components that the other guys not doesn't have there. And then you have to deal with the ego part of that also, you know, look at, you know, Mick and Keith uh, writing songs or Lennon and McCartney or whoever it's 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 not easy, but there is a magic there. So tell us about your process and the ups and downs and the challenges and why why it works for you guys. Yeah, that uh, it really is. Jason made this comment before that it's it's more like a marriage than either of us would have anticipated. Uh, we you, you have to you have to at at, at first blush you have to. Uh, be ready to forgive and forget anything that that your partner does or says, and then at second plus you have to realize uh, just because you wrote something that you think is gold uh, doesn't mean that it can't be improved upon, and and that's true whether you are a, a solo author handing your work off to the editor and and just hoping to get it back with a couple grammatical corrections, or whether you're like Jason and I, a co-author situation where you're handing a scene to your co-author and and either just assuming or sometimes praying that uh, that he sees he sees what you saw that that uh, that he comes back and says no that uh, boy that's beautiful that uh, don't don't change a, a thing don't change a word that is perfect the way it is. And of course, what you're hoping for is is really not what you you should be dreaming of, because the best situation is he comes back with whether it's edits or a whole new take on the scene that uh, that you just never thought of. Having a co-author, the, and I think it is very similar to having an editor, it gives you a perspective that that you don't have, uh, and something that either your writing evokes 
uh, or your writing is missing that enhances the whole the whole scene and the whole process. There have been multiple times where uh, where I've thrown a fit uh, in private, and uh, and then after I read it again the next morning, realized you know this has taken taken things in a direction I never would have dreamed of, and it's it, this has the potential now to make this into a into a much more colorful, uh, complex uh, scene that that maybe maybe gives us some some different opportunities down the road or for rewrites of previous chapters that never would have come about and and would have been the worst the worst for it if if that process hadn't played out and if if Jason hadn't hadn't uh, just red marked the hell out of out of my manuscript. Now, when you uh... Let's say let's talk about like the third book, for if you will. Is that written yet? I was most. I mean, we were saying today about it's about two thirds. Alan, um, okay. You know, again, again, we go back and forth on this. Is there are times when Alan can crank out a lot more work than me, or vice versa. Um, Alan is very diligent. Uh, he works on his craft every single day, uh, whether it's fifteen minutes or two hours or whatever it is. And I kind of go willy-nilly. You know, I, I'll write six hours one day and then not again for a week. And then all of a sudden hit, something hits me and i got to write again and I'll stay up all night or uh, that kind of thing. So I, I'm really sporadic, whereas Alan just, you know, um, he's more of a classical writer in the sense that he makes himself write. And uh, I think we both respect what we do. I think that, that uh, in a lot of ways I wish I could be more like Alan. And uh, in a lot of ways he he he'd like to be nothing like me. So that's, you know. Um, <laughs> I wait, Robert. I wait for the muse to hit, uh, and well, it it doesn't. And so I just write. And Jason Jason has patience. And when it when it comes to him, uh, then it's then it's it is angel singing, and uh, the the typewriter is flying, and and uh, or the the keyboard, I guess. What the kids are calling the yeah the computer, the laptop these days. <laughs> so yeah, so but, completely uh, different uh, different strategies. But oh my gosh, I, I'm I'm so glad that that we are very different and uh, and kind of complement each other. Okay, so like plot wise, um, before you took on like the third book, for instance, do you guys sit there and kind of have a meeting at the coffee shop and bar and say, okay, let's talk about where we're going with this book, and then What's the process? Who comes up with what? How do you divvy up the work? How do you exchange stuff? I mean, did that process change between the three books, et cetera? Because I think a lot of people out there are curious about the writing process when you're writing in a team. It's tough enough, as I mentioned earlier, to do it as an individual. But as a team, it brings a whole other bunch of problems and challenges. Let's call them challenges with it. (laughs) No, that's good. I mean, we... um... I really thought that we'd have like a kind of more of a format, you know, t- type uh, deal. We don't. We, we, the third book, we definitely sat down. We talked about how we wanted to start and how we wanted to finish and how we wanted the middle of the go and the crux of the book. Uh, and then Alan said, you want to write the opening scene? I think it should be this. And I'm like, ooh, that's a good idea. So I wrote the opening scenes, maybe the first two chapters, first three chapters, and then um, what I do is I send them off to him, and then he um, edits them and brings them back and adds and subtracts, and and then I add, add and subtract. And we're, I think that um, the big thing that we have is is uh, what's really fortunate for us is that uh, uh, the, our egos don't get. We have. I mean, I, I would say that we we both have pretty good egos. I would say probably oversized, 
but towards our writing, we both know that what we want is the best product, and that Alan doesn't. Even though I, I'll get upset and say, I'll, I mean, you know, give you an example is I kill, I killed the character at least five times in the last in, in this trilogy series, and every time I got the book back or the, the chapters back, the, the character would be, would be back in, and I, I'd be really frustrated because I just, I hated the character. But then Alan kind of sat down with me and said, Yeah, you hate the character, but that, that's part of the good thing about it is. You hate the character; everyone else is going to hate it as well, and that's why we Emotion, got to keep the character. Right? And, and, and that's mm-hmm. why we got to keep the character. And he was exactly right. Um, I wish he was wrong, but he wasn't. And so, and then, and on previous books, um, we kind of did the same thing. Like one of us would write three or four chapters, and then another uh, we'd be ahead or behind each other by four or five chapters, and we kind of go back and forth and and um, be excited about the the person writing, reading their work, and then upset when they tore it apart, but then understanding when they tore it apart. And so I think the biggest thing is is that when we, at the end of the day, uh, we both want the best work possible. And, um, you know, I, you know, there are days that I think that Alan thinks that I have the final say, and there's days that he thinks that uh, I think that he has the final say. And I think that um, it just makes for really good, fun, collaborative work. And I think that um, with both of us doing it together, uh, we don't get as down as maybe doing doing, doing it by ourselves. Um, that uh, you know, if things aren't going real well, um, whether with sales or with with uh, marketing and stuff, we kind of just lean on each other and say, "Hey, what, what's what, what's right?" Uh, you know, we we have been fortunate to write um, and direct other things, and so we we keep occupied with other things as well. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So, what's next for you guys? Uh, the third book. Uh pretty close to completion. You said two thirds of the way done. So figure a couple more months and then you do your editing and then that, then that comes out. Then you've got your trilogy part one, part three, you've got your standalone book, Java man, and you've got a couple of screenplays you've worked on. I don't know if they relate to the uh, Vic series or where are you guys going now? What's next? We, uh, so yeah, we, we sat down uh, recently. We were heading to uh, a book club in Denver, we love to do book clubs. That that's probably uh, our favorite venue to to talk about our books. Uh, if in whether it's whether it's a book club that's read our book, or that uh, is just looking for a guest speaker to come in, uh, having a having an, a writing duo obviously is a little bit of a novelty. So we get to talk about that. Uh, so we were heading to a Denver book club a couple weeks ago and, uh, Jason talked about, you asked Jason about his writing prior to our collaboration. Well, Jason actually belonged to a band, uh, back in high school and he did some lyric writing in that band and it was very, very naughty lyrics. Uh, they would take eight, it was back in the eighties. Uh, he would, they would take popular songs and, uh, mm-hmm. make them into yeah songs that, that our kids should not listen to. And and uh, they would have live performances. They actually were a real live uh, Washington band. So that's uh, that that's our next project. I think is to talk about that band and the the people in the band. There were some characters in there. Jason was talking about the uh, his bandmates. Uh, there were some pretty talented people in there, and uh, and they've had some interesting trajectories since then. So assuming that they don't, uh, at some point, if uh, we're assuming we can change their names and we won't get sued at any point or have to share any of the, the royalties. 
uh, and uh, we think we have a pretty good story there about, uh, no, about again about the, the the more I've learned, the more I can rip off Jason's earlier earlier childhood and and stories and tales, the better. No, oh, that's fantastic. You know what I like <laughs> about you guys is that it's it's not easy to collaborate, particularly in the artistic area. It's 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 you know again it's a challenge enough for one person to work on stuff and then get two people and then do it together you know you can spur yourself forward that's great but also it can you know it can go get sidetracked really easily so uh, I congratulate you guys on being a team and uh, on all the work you've done so tell everybody where they can find all about Vampire Vic your books and about you guys. We are, uh, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. The, probably the best place to start is go to harrisgray.com. That's gray with an A. You can, find, you can find our Facebook connection there, Twitter connection, Google+. Plus. Uh, you can see the books for sale that will link you to Amazon, to Barnes & Noble. Uh, we've got videos there. We, we try to entertain, like Jason said, when we're stuck in one area, then we'll we'll unleash some uh, some creative frustrations in another area. So we've got a, a few videos out there of the two of us collaborating in our in our uh, uh, maybe unique way. Uh, so so yeah, HarrisGray.com is is a great place to start. We'd love to have you visit there and uh, and shoot us a question if anybody has questions at that point. Uh, you can obviously email us, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, and uh, we just we love to talk about the writing process, talk about our books, books themselves, and uh, uh, and yeah, and and uh, we will we will uh, also probably talk about this interview and and uh, give everybody a, uh, a, a little insight and and uh, tag to what we've been talking about tonight. Fantastic. Well, listen, guys, it's been a pleasure to. Uh, to meet you guys, to go through your books, to learn all about you. And I congratulate you on all the fine work you're doing. And the fact, you know, you're staying friends while you're doing the creative process. I know it's not easy and uh, I commend you guys. So uh, thanks for being on the show and thanks for being guys, guys. Oh, thanks, Robert. It's really good to have you. And you're right. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, with us, it's, it's, what's nice about it is, is, is we've, stayed, we've, we've stayed close and actually gotten closer. So it's it's, it's a lot of fun. Good. All right. Well, listen, guys, uh, again, great to meet you. All the best. Have a happy Thanksgiving and uh, keep me posted. Let me know what's going on with you guys and Vic. OK, will do. Thank you, Robert. All right. Yeah, you take care. Right. Man. Have a great holiday. All right. Be good. You too. OK, folks, that's our show for this evening. The writing duo is Harris Gray. The books are the Vampire Vic trilogy. And uh, you got all the information as to how that you can check them out and learn more about them. And I just want to close in uh, talking a little bit more about Thanksgiving. Earlier in the show, I mentioned that, you know, sometimes it's good to be thankful for things that you didn't get or might have gotten that you didn't want. I'm going to give you one more example of that. Um, About a year and a half ago, I went for a run and I had tremendous pain and discomfort on my left side. And it was just unbearable when I got home. And I ended up, long story short, went to the doctor a couple of days later because it happened the next day, too, and uh, I had a CAT scan. I, sure enough, I had a kidney stone, and it was unbearably painful what I went through, just off the charts. Anybody who's had a kidney stone will attest to this. It's the worst. 
you want to climb out of your skin and you can't find a way out. Um, but I had a CAT scan and they actually found that I had a growth on each kidney. Very small, but that had to be taken care of. And it was very, very early. And I had two robotic surgeries, one on each kidney a year ago, within a five-week period, which was basically like doing them both at the same time. It was life-changing because I didn't know that was something I had never even... Who thinks about their kidneys? The point is, the kidney stone was unbearable, yet it saved my life. And now I've been told I was just at the doctor yesterday, and he said, you passed the one-year threshold, and the chances of you never having to deal with any of that again is 98%. I like those odds. But the point is, sometimes we need to be thankful for things that we might not think at first blush are in our best interest. We have to trust in the universe and love and learn and be open to what might be best for us that we don't know about or that we keep fighting. So when you run into challenges, when things don't sometimes work out the way you want, when you want, just remember that being in the moment is all that matters and everything is in perfect order and things will turn out the way they're supposed to. And if you stay open and you fill your heart with love and openness that you will get what you want as long as it's the best thing for you and for the greater good of others. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Remember, guys, guys, finish first.